And uh, we're in a brand new sermon series. Well, it's kind of midway through the sermon series on crazy people. Wait, Pastor we're Phil, be talking wait, about. wait. Uh, can I help you? I'm about to start yes, my sermon here. Yes, I know, sir, I know. But you are in extreme danger. Hmm. Uh, well, this is... Who are they, Pastor? These people? Yes, these people right here. That's our church family, and a few of our guests are with us today. Well, Pastor, let me let you know that I, kept it Crazy, have the gifts, gift of sensing when crazy people are near. And my amazing powers of detection have sent me here. And somewhere out there, I see crazy people. Really, crazy people are here today in this service? Yes, Pastor, don't let their calm, coffee-drinking demeanor fool you. That's how they get you. By blending in. Oh, really? Yes, Pastor. They lure you in by pretending to be loving, safe, caring individuals until they get close to you. Then, wham! You're finished. And my crazy radar, I call Kradar, is picking up strong signals right now. Well, I'm fairly certain there is no one in our church, you know, like, like you're describing. But, but how do you suggest, if there were some people here like that, how would we yes, find Pastor. out the ones we need to be worried about? Well, those who aren't as fortunate as me, you need to know the true signs of craziness. Oh, such as? Well, there's several types of craziness, Pastor. And lucky for you, with my Kradar and this nose, we're going <laughs> to sniff them out. So, such as? Well, Pastor, to start off with, there are those that are very demanding. They make everything a battle, an argument. You know what I'm saying? You know anyone like that? Exactly. And the ones that you can't never please, they're always upset and they point out your mistakes. Sound familiar? Well. Yes. And the ones who are loud and obnoxious and they never let you get a word an inch wise. Isn't that, that so rude, Pastor? It is. I think we get the idea. Yes. And also, Pastor, the ones who are so sensitive that they whine and complain about everything. Oh. And their lives are so miserable. Oh. And the ones who always tear you down and make smart aleck comments all the time, you have to watch out for them. But I'm sure, Pastor, that there's no one in this church like that. Or even the staff, perhaps. Well, now that you mention the staff, there could be some modifications. And, Pastor, the, at last and possibly the worst are the crazy, super spiritual church people that think that they're so special that God tells them things that others don't know. They used a Jesus juke on you, and the God told me all the time. You have to watch out for them too, Pastor. Well, you know, I'm pretty sure that yes. whatever type of craziness we have in here, I don't think I'm in any danger. I feel safe. But God, yes. listen, man, I appreciate you coming by. I appreciate your concern. You're course. welcome, Pastor. Just doing my duties to protect the people of the Bridge Church from the dangers of crazy people. Now, if you don't mind, I'm going to go blend in. I don't think you're going to have any trouble doing that. I think you're going to fit right in. If I could get an emergency response person up here. We've got an emergency response team. Uh, Pastor, I've got to run. But always know, I've got your back. <laughs> Somehow I don't feel safer. You've got your sermon notes right there close to you, maybe in the chair beside you, in the chair in front of you, the chair behind you. If you don't have any around you, just reach over and get your neighbor's notes. They probably take better notes than you do anyway. So everybody, let's say it together. Sometimes the crazy person is me.
Today we're going to look at two more kinds of crazy people and how we should react to them, what the Bible says about how we should react to them. Let's go back and look at the ones we've already talked about. By the way, did Pastor uh, Andrew do a good job for you last Sunday? And didn't he do a great job? I heard, this is what I heard, that he wore out two microphones. That's incredible. That's incredible. He's a gifted young man. Uh, now, now, before we talk about the ones we've already mentioned, you got to remember that these, are, these people, these crazy people that we're talking about in this sermon series, you work with some of them. And I know you're thinking right now, tell me about it. You work with them. Some of them you live with them. Some of you, they are your neighbors. Some of you, they're just in your community down the street. Uh, I hate to tell you this, but you attend church with a few of them because everybody say it with me. Sometimes the crazy person is me. So they're everywhere. In the last message, we talked about this crazy person, the my way or no way person. And uh, we won't get into that today. Uh, you can go back and listen to that message online for free. Uh, also, uh, the nitpickers. We talked about the nitpickers, the people you can't please. And then we talked about a couple of ways to deal with crazy people in general, not necessarily those particular ones, but just in general, how do we deal with the crazy people in our life? We said you've got to refuse to be offended. You've got to refuse to be offended. Everybody say, choose to refuse. And so the second thing you got to do is you got to forgive them without an apology. Don't wait for an apology. Because sometimes crazy people don't even know they did anything. So if you're waiting for an apology, only you are going to be miserable. So you got to forgive them before they apologize. So we're going to talk about a couple more kinds of crazy people today. And this is your first little blank on your notes. Megaphone people. Megaphone people. These people are not listeners. They don't listen. When you're talking, they want you to shut up because they are thinking about what they're going to say as soon as you stop talking. And they are loud. They like to do most of the talking, and they like to do it at 120 decibels. They love the sound of their own voice. If you get a megaphone person on the telephone, you're not going to get off for a long time because they're just going to keep on talking. How many of you are thankful for texting? Glory to God. Amen. Amen. Matter of fact, megaphone people will talk to you till you wave a white flag of surrender and just give up and go, whatever you want, you can have it. Just stop talking. They love to argue. They love to win the argument. These are the megaphone people. Number two, volcano people. Volcano people. These are people who have uncontrolled anger. We've all had the volcanoes in our lives, and the people said you never knew when they were going to go off, when they were going to erupt, but when they erupt, you know it. Everybody knows it. they got a temper like Mount St. Helens. And when they explode, when they go off, they leave scorching hot lava burning down every path. If you have a volcano in your life or in your family, you tend to walk on eggshells around them most of the time. The family who has a volcano person in their family, 
They live in fear of when the next blow up is going to be. And they have a lot of tension in their home and a lot of tension in their life. And the burn casualties are quite high. Now let's look at two ways, because we're not going to focus primarily on the kinds of crazy people. We're going to mention them. I'm going to give you three more kinds of crazy people next week. But we're not going to spend our time talking about the kinds of crazy people. We're just going to mention them. What we want to focus on is the most important part. How are we going to respond as Christians? How are we going to respond to them as believers? So let's look at a couple ways to respond. The third thing, we've already talked about two. Number three, you've got to refuse to gossip. Everybody say, Jesus, help me. Because this is going to be hard. Because I'm telling you, when crazy people do stuff to me, I can't wait to get on the phone and tell somebody. I can't wait to pull off the side of the road. Yeah, like I really do. I can't wait to pull off the side of the road. I know there are law enforcement officers here. I understand that. I did, I did not admit anything right there. I want to just say that. But when, you, when people, when people um, uh, are crazy toward you, you want to gossip about it. You want to gossip about them. It's very, very tough. You have to admit, you know, that when that crazy person goes off on you or does something crazy, I mean, you want to text it, don't you? You want to call somebody and go, hey, you ain't going to believe this. I know we both knew they were crazy, but they took it to an H&L. What does that mean? Whole nother level, I got to tell you. Now, what that is is gossip. And so when it comes to crazy people, we, we, we just want to tell somebody else. And the reason we want to tell somebody else, listen to this, because I'm about to bust on us now. The reason we want to tell somebody else is because we want affirmation from other people about our opinion about the crazy person. We want them to say, yes, they are crazy and you are not. That's what we want them to say when we gossip. It is a very difficult thing for us to just let it go without getting affirmation from somebody about it. i got to tell you all something. I need to confess. I need to confess right here before God and everybody right here at church on Sunday morning. Gossiping about crazy people feels good. It feels good. I'd love to tell you it don't feel good, but I've done it many times. I have done it many. Y'all just catch that? I've done it many, and it feels so good. And it might feel good, but you know what? It's not the loving thing to do. It's not loving them the way Jesus loved us. You say, but they're crazy. You think Jesus ever looked down and said, Pharaoh Hardison's crazy. Of course he has. But he loved me anyway, didn't gossip about me, loved me anyway. Look at Proverbs 17.9. Proverbs 17.9. Whoever conceals an offense promotes, everybody say it, love, but whoever gossips about it does what? Wow, wow. You know, there's a verse in the, did you know there's a passage in the Bible that lists seven things God hates? Did you know that's in the Bible? Seven things God hates. One of them is those who sow discord. I mean, it says God hates that. And when you gossip about a crazy person, you're sowing discord. Look what it says. When you gossip, it does what? 
It separates. It doesn't bring together. It doesn't unite. It separates. Let me give you a definition of gossip. Now, there are a lot of definitions of gossip, but let me just give you one. When you share information with somebody who is not a part of the solution or a part of the problem, when you share information with somebody who's not a part of the solution or a part of the problem, when, when we gossip, it's an effort to feel better. We want to feel better. We want to feel better about ourselves. We want affirmation from other people. Gossip, when you boil it down, listen to this, very important, is a form of retaliation. When you gossip, when I gossip, let me put myself in there because I've done it many times. When you gossip, you are getting back at somebody without actually dealing with them directly. It's a sense of retaliation, a sense that you're getting some revenge. Gossip is incredibly destructive to churches. Y'all know that's true? How many of y'all been in church very long? You know, buddy, if gossip gets going in a church, it'll rip it apart. But not just churches, families. Families and businesses and relationships to your own uh, uh, and your own life, your own personal life. When you gossip, it doesn't hurt them only, it hurts you too. It'll bring destruction to your life. Gossip rips people apart. It separates the closest of friends. Now, let me tell you a couple things about gossipers. Gossipers love to talk about the sins of others while ignoring or refusing to admit that gossip is as big a sin as the thing they're gossiping that somebody else did. Did y'all just get that? Because it was brilliant. And I don't know if I can say it again. Gossip is a sin. Gossip is wrong. So when you gossip about somebody who sinned, you just, you just put yourself right there with them. You say, yeah, but I was gossiping. If I gossip, you know, I was just gossiping about some big sin. Can I just tell you sin is sin? Sin is sin. Sin is an offense against God. And gossipers love to talk about other people's sins and pretend they don't have any when they know they do. They want someone, uh, gossipers want someone to confront others about their sin, uh, but but or they want to confront other people about their sin, but if you were to confront them about gossip, the ones I've run into explode in anger and defensiveness. Amen. We need to remember that when we start gossiping about this crazy person, here's this is very important, kind of switching gears here, they win. They actually win. See, you're gossiping to get back at them, but they actually win because now they control what you're talking about. They control your conversation. They are now controlling your emotions and they're controlling your thoughts. And instead of you thinking about good things in your life, instead of you thinking about the blessings of the Lord in your life, you're thinking about them. They win. Listen to me. Don't let them win. Don't let the crazy people win. Look at this verse. Look at this verse out of 1 Peter 3.9. Peter says, don't repay evil for and when we gossip about somebody who did evil we just did evil too 
And Peter says, don't repay evil for evil. You might say, but you don't know what they did. I'm just saying, for your good, for your benefit, don't lower yourself to where they are. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't, what's that word? Retaliate with what? Insults when people, isn't that some good advice right there? Everybody say, Jesus, help me, because this is hard. It is hard. I'm not saying this is easy. I told you we were going to go through about six steps on how to respond to crazy people. And I told you the, the deeper we got into these steps, the harder they would be. How many of y'all know that right there is hard? And you know how you do it? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know how you have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? Is you walk in intimacy, closeness to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't live afar off from God and have Holy Spirit control because that right there requires Holy Spirit control. You can't do it in your flesh. You'll break. By the, okay, let me, let me just, can I add a little bit right here? I know the Bible says don't add or take away, but I'm not doing damage to this. By the power of the Holy Spirit, don't repay evil for evil. By the power of the Holy Spirit, don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Because I'm good at arguing. I mean, I can beat Millie in an argument and, and she's right. Because I will word her to death. You say, didn't you mean worry? Well, that too. But I can, I can outword her. I mean, I can say, dear sister in the Lord. Let me begin my dissertation with this statement, and I'm going to give you three points. At the end, we're going to have a poem and a prayer, and you will be utterly defeated, even though you're really right. <laughs> y'all with me out there? How many of y'all, some of y'all are good at arguing. Some of you are good with words. And so you slice people up, and finally they go, you know, I can't argue like that. I don't know how to make points like that. And they just give up and they're wounded. That causes wounds. That causes deep wounds that need to be healed. And a lot of times those wounds are so deep, it takes a lot of time. I'm telling you, words, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's not true. When you get hit with sticks and stones, that'll heal up pretty quick. But words take a long time. And the people said, don't repay evil for evil by the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Instead, by the power of the Holy Spirit, because this is really going to take help. This is really going to take the Holy Spirit right here. Pay them back when they insult you, when they are evil toward you. God says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, if you are close to me, I will empower you not to retaliate, but I will, I will empower you to give them back a... Help me, Jesus, because this is hard. I want to do this. That is what God has called you to do. And look at the little promise there on the end, which is a pretty big promise. If you will do that right there, He will bless you for it. I don't know about y'all, but I was kind of counting on the blessings of God. In my life, 
I was counting on eating every day. Y'all counting on that? I got ribs. I got baby back ribs. I cooked last night. No, you're not getting none. Don't even think about it. I cook, I've learned how to cook baby back ribs. We got some master grillers in our church and they've taught me. Low and slow, baby. Amen, low and slow. And they're in the refrigerator at home with a note on it that says, these belong to daddy. <laughs> Amen. I'm counting on them ribs and when I eat them, I go, if there's ever been a blessing from God, that's a blessing from God right there, some baby back ribs. Amen. I know some of y'all all into health. I'm praying for you. Listen, you're going to die something. You might as well die with some barbecue sauce on your mouth. Amen. Come on. I know I got some supporters out there. Drink a Diet Pepsi with formaldehyde and eat some of that pork fat. All right, now listen, let's get back on the topic. I'm counting on God's blessings, aren't you? But I'm not going to get his blessings if I don't do this part. But he says, Pharaoh, if you'll, if you'll get, let me control your life so you won't repay evil for evil and so you won't insult people when they insult you and, and, and so you'll bless people instead of retaliate and repay with evil, then Pharaoh, hey, guess what, dude? I am going to bless you for doing that. I'm telling you, I believe I can give up this part up here if I can get me some of that right there. Amen? <clears throat> Peter says that by gossiping, you're, you're going to miss out on God's blessing in your life. By choosing not to gossip, not only is your conversation now going to be pure and holy and right, but you're going to get blessed. I mean, you can't beat that. So number one, choose not to be offended. Number two, choose to forgive even before they apologize. Number three, Refuse to gossip. Number four. Number four. We're coming in for a landing. You, you wish. Number four. Refuse to what? Participate. Everybody say, choose to refuse. Refuse to play their game. They're going to play games with you. Crazy people play mind games. Crazy people are going to try to manipulate you, get you to play their game. I'll tell you what they love to do. A lot of them. Not all of them. But all, here's one of the main tools of a crazy. They love to argue. They'll debate. We already kind of touched on that a little bit. They love to frustrate you in order to get your attention. Now that's big right there. Because if you can get in your mind when somebody's going off on you with crazy, that the only thing they're trying to do is get my attention. So if I respond to this craziness in a big way, they're going to get exactly what they want. They're trying to get your attention. See, here's the trap. Here's the trap. And I fall into this trap, and you guys fall into this trap, because here's what we think in our mind. Here's what we think about crazy people. Listen to this. We think, if I could just sit down with them. You know, if I could just clearly and logically and with reason explain to them what they're doing then if I could do that, then the light would come on in their mind and, 
and they would realize how destructive and self-destructive and how inappropriate their behavior is and how inappropriate their attitude is and how inappropriate their words are. I mean, if I could just sit down, if they would just sit down with me and let me reason with them, they will say, yes, yes. Thank you for helping me see that. But they're crazy. They're not going to do it. Crazy people don't come to their position, the position that crazy people take, the perspective they have. They did not come to that position. They did not come to that perspective through reason or logic or biblical wisdom. They came to their their position through emotion, through a feeling. Crazy people don't come to their position through reason or logic, so you can't use reason or logic to get them to see reality. I want you to get this, because if you get this, it'll help you in dealing with crazy people. The perspective they have, the behavior they display, Is because of emotion, a feeling, not logic. So you can't talk them out of it. A crazy person's motivation comes from feeling, emotion, not logic, not reasoning. When you try to reason with a crazy person, when you try to use logic with a crazy person, showing them how they're wrong, all they do is get mad. Let's get mad at you. When you show crazy people the facts, it confuses them. (laughs) When you show crazy people the facts, no matter how clear those facts are, here's what that crazy person will say to you. You got your facts wrong. You got your facts wrong. Why do they say that? Again, get this. I know I'm repeating myself. Because it wasn't the facts that caused them to behave a certain way or say a certain thing or make certain decisions they make. Their behavior, their words, their decisions were all based on emotion and feeling, not facts. So you have to refuse to play their game. Let me give you an example. Jesus. Jesus is a perfect example. How many of y'all know Jesus had some crazy people in his life? You're in his life. Amen? And sometimes the crazy person is me. Some of y'all said you right there, I think. <laughs> Jesus refused to play games with people, and he dealt with crazy people all the time. Some of those crazy people were called Pharisees. They were called Pharisees. They were the religious authorities of their day, and they hated Jesus. As a matter of fact, the Bible is clear that they were always constantly trying to trap him. They were trying to trap him. They were always trying to get Jesus to say the wrong thing. Y'all remember when you read your Bible how the Pharisees were always trying to get Jesus to say the wrong thing, trying to get Jesus to make a mistake? They were always questioning his teaching and they were always probing with Jesus and playing little games, little mind games with Jesus. Let's look at Matthew. It's in your notes. I'm not going to pop it up here on the screen because it's sort of a long passage. But I want you to look at your notes and follow along with me each word because it's important. Matthew 22:15. 15. 
That's when the Pharisees, listen to this, plotted a way to what? Trap him into what? Saying something what? Listen, I'm telling you, crazy people do that to you all the time. Let me tell you what crazy people will do. They will probe, 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 and then when you react, they'll go, I can't believe. I thought you went to the bridge. Oh, that's right. Pharaoh Hardison's your pastor. No wonder you acted like that. I can't believe. I thought you were a Christian. Have you? How many of y'all know that's true? Hey, quit that. Oh, look at you. It's just like Satan. Satan is your tempter, and the moment you yield to temptation, he becomes your accuser. So some crazy people are like the devil. I didn't have that in my notes, but I'd write that down if I were you. He says that's when the Pharisees plotted a way to trap him into saying something damaging. The the crazy people, the Pharisees, sent their disciples with a few of Herod's followers mixed in. Boy, that's a bunch, isn't it? To ask, teacher, Jesus, we know you have integrity. Boy, they're setting him up, aren't they? We know you have integrity, and we know you teach the way of God accurately, and we know that you're indifferent to popular opinion, and we know that you don't pander to your students. So tell us honestly, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, the re- what they were hoping Jesus would say was, no, you don't have to pay taxes to Caesar. And then they were going to accuse Jesus of trying to take over, trying to take Caesar's place. You all with me? You know, that was one of their accusations of Jesus. He's against Caesar. He's against the, the, the government. He's against the leaders of our, of our um, government. And then the Bible says Jesus, what? Knew. Now, now let, just look at that word knew. As a matter of fact, circle the word knew, K-N-E-W. And I want us to pray a prayer together right now. Dear Lord, give me discernment so I will know when I'm talking to a crazy person. The Bible says Jesus what? Now listen. You say, well, that's Jesus. I know. But you know what? The discernment that was in Jesus, that discernment's been promised to us. You say, well, boy, I sure do make a lot of mistakes. You know what? It's because we're not walking in intimacy with God. It's because we're not asking for discernment and insight and perspective and wisdom. I'm telling you, in these last days, you need more discernment and insight and wisdom than we've ever needed in the history of mankind. Because the enemy never looks like the enemy. Look what they said to Jesus here. You're a great teacher. You're accurate. You don't pander to your students. You're not concerned about popular opinion. I mean, buddy, they're piling on the, the compliments and, and our nature is when we're getting piled on with a bunch of compliments, if our guard is up, and I'm not talking about a bad kind of guard, I'm not talking about building a wall around yourself and isolating yourself, but our, our cradar, <laughs> our cradar that was this big picking up on the crazy stuff, the more compliments we get, the more it shrinks back. 
And we begin to think, anybody who thinks that of me has got to be a wise person. So they used it on Jesus. But the Bible says Jesus what? Knew that they were what? Up to no good. Man, that ought to be a prayer in your life. Lord Jesus, help me know, help me see, help me have insight. God, when I'm being taken advantage of and it looks like I, I, that they're, you know, set, that they're being nice, they're being kind, but what they're wanting to do is manipulate me or use me in some bad way. Father, help me, help me, help me to pick that up. Pick that up. Know that this isn't right. It's kind of like uh, one time in my ministry a long time ago. I've been in the ministry about 40 years now. Early in my ministry at one of my first churches, a lady in the church started meeting with people to pray for me. And so she would say, you know, he's a, he's a sweet. And then she would talk to him about how I was a good young man, you know, and I was in college, Bible college and all of that. But, but there were some things about me that we needed to pray about. One of them was that I mentioned tithing from time to time when I was preaching. That was one of the things. Giving, generosity. See, people will cloak something evil in something that looks pure. So you have to have discernment in these last days. And the people said, Jesus knew they were up to no good. So he said to them, why are you, what? Playing these games with me, why are you trying to, come on, trap me? Jesus wouldn't fall for it. He would not be pulled into their crazy people games. He wouldn't be drawn into an argument that he knew was not going anywhere. Don't be drawn in. Don't be pulled in to an argument that you know isn't going anywhere. Because crazy people will make you think they've come to their senses just to get you in. When they get you in, they'll attack. You say, well, pastor, I mean, we're supposed to love people, and we're supposed to give people second chances, and we're supposed to forgive. That's exactly right. But you need discernment to know when a person is real and when a person is sincere. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you are anybody's doormat to be walked on. Another example is Jesus before Pilate. Pilate starts asking Jesus questions, and Jesus sees the sincerity of Pilate. He sees the honesty of Pilate, and Jesus talks back to Pilate. But then later, Pilate starts asking Jesus tricky questions. And Jesus realizes that Pilate is trying to trap him. And Pilate's saying things like, so you say you're the king of the Jews. What is truth? Who are you really? You know what the Bible says then? The Bible says Jesus didn't open his mouth because Jesus knew that Pilate's attitude was not like it had been and that Pilate was trying to pull him in to an argument that was going nowhere because Pilate had already decided what he believed about Jesus. As a matter of fact, Pilate had already decided what he was going to do with Jesus because he was a coward. Now, I'm going to give you a deep thought right here, and you need to write it down. I should have put it in the notes. This is deep, and I'll say it over and over again to make sure you get it. 
haters going to hate. Haters are going to hate. It's who they are. People are going to think and believe about you what they want to think and believe about you. And I want to tell you something. There's much you can do about it except be godly. If, you, if they want to believe bad things about you, then they're going to look for bad things about you. They're going to misinterpret what you say and what you do. And they're going to say, uh, this is who you are and this is how you meant what you said. If they want to believe good things about you, then they're going to look for good things about you and say good things about you. I want you to notice a word, prejudice. But when we think about prejudice, we think about racism, and certainly there is prejudice in the area of racism. But you can have people, crazy people, that are in your sphere of peers who have decided they are prejudiced against you. And when they are prejudiced against you, it causes, listen, it twists reasoning, it twists logic, and you can't reason with a person who is prejudiced. You can't reason with them. You can't talk people out of prejudice. And we get back to what we said a little bit earlier. You can't talk to them about their prejudice from a logical sense because their prejudice is emotion-based. It is feeling-based. They have decided what they believe about you or somebody else based on an emotion, a feeling. If someone is prejudiced against you, again, there's little you can do except pray for them. So you know what Jesus says? Save your breath. I mean, he didn't say it. He showed us. I mean, when Pilate started busting on him and he knew Pilate was not sincere, Jesus said, I'm going to save my breath. I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to play games. I'm not going to waste my time. You cannot talk people out of positions they have arrived at based on emotion and feeling rather than reasoning, logic, and godly wisdom. Another example is Paul. Paul. Paul is just like Jesus. Paul would never get drawn into word games with crazy people or playing their little manipulative games. Look what he said to the church at Corinth. First, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 4 and 2. I don't believe this is uh, in your notes uh, or up on the screen. But uh, is it in the notes? I'm smarter than I thought I was. 2 Corinthians 4 and 2. Look what Paul says. He's talking about how to deal with crazy people. We reject all shameful and un, what kind? Underhanded methods. That's how crazy people work, underhanded. They never attack you head on. It's always trying to catch you not looking. Psalm 11, just write that in your margin. Psalm 11 describes Satan that way. That Satan will never meet you in the middle of the road and say, let's go a few rounds. Satan tries to be stealthy. As a matter of fact, in Psalm 11, it talks about Satan's weapon against us being a bow and arrow, and there's nothing more stealth than a bow and arrow. Here's how I know that. A bunch of good old boys took me deer hunting with a bow and arrow one time. And the only reason they took me is because I could get them on a piece of land because I was the preacher. If they could have got on the piece of land without me, they'd have left me at the house. So they gave me a bow and arrow and put me in a deer stand. Ladies and gentlemen, that is dangerous. 
A, de- a deer, I'm sitting up there, I'm not lying, I'm sitting up there, I brought a book with me. I'm reading my book, I got my bow and arrow kind of behind me. I mean, I could shoot a watermelon at 10 paces, I had gotten that good. So this, so I hear something, it sounds like a dog walking in the woods. So I'm, see, I don't think deer. I'm like, man, somebody's dog's out here in the woods. I looked up, there's a deer. So I got my bow and arrow. Stuck in the ground. The deer never moved. Here's why. It's not because I'm that bad. It's because a bow and arrow is a stealthy weapon. It's quiet. When I shot every arrow in the quiver into the ground, the deer went. And then the deer thought to himself, I believe in my heart, must be a preacher. That's a funny little story, but listen, don't miss the point. The enemy always comes stealthy. He never, never, never fights you head on. Neither does a crazy person. A crazy person wants to come behind you, come from the side, come from a way you're not looking. He wants to trap you, play games, play mind games. He wants to bring you into his cray-cray world. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 5, 37, let your yes be yes and your no be no. The reason this is important is because crazy people use conflict to get you to pay attention to them. Everybody has a deep need to be needed, isn't that true? Sometimes if uh, people cannot get approval by doing good things, then they don't get any kind of approval they can or any kind of attention they can, whether it's good or bad. When people try to get your attention through conflict, They're just trying to hook you in. Are y'all with me on that? Don't fall for this. I'm going to give you some scripture in just a minute that's going to help you because it's going to allow you to block some people on Facebook. I'm here to help you. And then somebody goes, man, you blocked me. Why'd you block me? Just send them back a word from God. (laughs) Amen. Y'all are like, man, Facebook ain't in the Bible. You just wait and see. Now, with the internet, it's really, really, really easy to get hooked in. I don't know how you guys are, but when somebody makes an off-the-wall comment, it takes every bone in my body, goes, say something. Say something. Now, when I first got on Facebook and somebody would say something stupid on Facebook, I didn't just, I didn't just shoot bullets at them. I was like, I was, man, I was just a 50 caliber because I got the words, baby. It did not help me. That did not help me. I did not have anybody write back and go, thank you for that. I see the light. Never has that happened. Don't do it. Don't do it. If y'all will notice, I have almost quit. I ain't going to lie to you. But don't do it. Don't play their game. You too, Farrell. Amen. I hear you, bro. 
you're just getting hooked in. Neil Stevenson is a culture guy. He looks at culture, especially in relation to social media and the internet. Here's what he says. Arguing with anonymous strangers on the internet is a sucker's game because they almost always turn out to be self-righteous 16-year-olds possessing infinite amounts of free time. And they have a whole lot more free time than you do, and they'd be happy to go on and on and on and on in this argument as long as you want them to. 250 years ago, before the Internet, Thomas Paine, you guys do remember the American Revolution, don't you? Thomas Paine said, to argue with a person who has renounced the use of reason is like administering medicine to the dead. Boom. Look at Proverbs 26, 21. Just as charcoal and wood keep a fire going, a quarrelsome person keeps an argument going. Everybody say, Lord Jesus, help me not to be a quarrelsome person. See, some people find their meaning. Some people find their purpose in life. Some people find their value as an individual in getting you upset. And when they get you upset, they are on a high. Because that's what they live for. Don't let them do it. Don't let them do it. Don't let them get you upset. Don't play their game. Don't get drawn in. Can I ask you a question? How many people does it take to argue? At least how many? Two. So if one of the people walk away, what happens to that argument? Fire goes out. Fire goes out. If you walk away, the fire goes out. A word for leaders. Now I'm about to get down in our wheelhouse here. I'm about, to, I'm about to say some pretty strong things, so I want you to get ready. If you're a business owner, if you're a business owner, if you are a person who works for a corporation and you have moved up the ladder and you got people who work under you, if you lead people, if you lead a group, if you are a leader, if you are a manager, if you're a volunteer leader right here at this church, i got a word for you today. Now, now before I give you that word, I want to say that people who don't lead anything, people who don't aren't ever in charge of anything, have no understanding of how much disharmony among a team destroys productivity. Disharmony in a team, whether it is a business and employees, whether it is a team of volunteers here at the church, when there's disharmony on a team, not talking about disagreement or saying, I wish we'd do it this way or I think there's a better way, can we discuss a better, that's fine. But, when, but have, you ever had, have you ever been on a team or been in a group that there's one person in that group that's always unhappy? It don't matter what you do, they don't like it. They are, they are, they are quarrelsome. They, the Bible calls them contentious. They have a contentious spirit. Here's the deal. If you are an employer, owner, manager, leader, and you have a quarrelsome person on your team or in your group, you have got to deal with that person. And you got to do it quickly. Here's why. Because quarrelsome people are contagious. 
And if you don't deal with them quickly and you just let it go and you try to sweep it under the rug or you just hope it'll go away, one complaining person will turn into two. And two will turn into four and four will turn into eight. That's why a lot of people go, I don't want to be a leader. Because that's hard to do when you're a leader. All of a sudden everybody's complaining because you wouldn't deal with that one contentious person. They're contagious. So you have to deal with them quickly because the rest of your team deserves a peaceful work environment. So, so let me get this straight. Because I used to lead like this. I don't lead like this anymore, but I used to. I would let the people who were cooperative suffer by not being courageous enough to deal with the quarrelsome person. I don't do that anymore. I don't do that anymore. Because I have found out, people go, yeah, but you know, if we get a quarrelsome person here at the bridge and you confront them, I mean, they might leave and there might be some people who go with them. You know what I've found? If I leave them alone and don't deal with them and call them in for a private meeting and go, man, we can't have this, you know what I've found? We're going to lose a whole lot more people than them and their little group. Can I preach like this? Just did. <clears throat> so think about it. Think about your family. Think about any group you're in. The people who are cooperating deserve a peaceful environment. They deserve not to be stressed out, having one troublemaker constantly stirring everything up and causing division and causing conflict and causing gossip. You owe it to your team. You owe it to the people you lead, the people you employ, uh, employ to resolve the situation and move that person from the team. Now, I'm going to give you two verses that are going to let you do it. Y'all ready? Verse number 1, Proverbs 22:10. Throw out the mocker, and you'll be rid of three things. Name them. Yes. Because if you've got tension, then we'll just use the bridge. If I allow tension to just go on, if I allow fighting to go on, if I allow quarrels to go on, and I am a weak pastor and a weak leader and we are a weak staff and we won't deal with that, I'm telling you, it will run the valuable, precious people who have the vision of the bridge in their heart. It will run them off. So when you hear that I have to deal with a situation like that, and somebody calls you up because you ain't going to believe what the past, you can know that I have prayed, I have sought counsel, I have given chance after chance after chance, but there just comes a day when you go, listen, you need to find church opportunities somewhere else. Can I preach like that? you got to get rid of the unnecessary tension-fighting quarrels and again, decreased ministry. It decreases the, the power of our ministry. It decreases the productivity of our ministry. Solomon says, throw the mocker out. The troublemaker, the quarrelsome person, the person who likes to argue. Look at Titus 3.10. How many of y'all like Proverbs 22.10 pretty good? You're going to like 3.10 better. If people are causing divisions among you, now don't just think about church here. Think about outside the church, any group you're in, any group you lead. You might be a life group leader. you got a person in your life group. You might need some help from the staff on that, but you can't let a, one person in your life group ruin your life group. If people are causing divisions among you, give him a 
first and a second warning after that. Booyah. It's in your Bible. You come, you say, hey, listen, I, I hear you're not happy, and, and I, I, heard, I didn't hear it from you, usually. I heard it from somebody else. I'm calling you, asking you, you know, is that true? Is that how you feel? Yeah, okay, well, let's work that out. Let's work that out. And then you, you feel like you've got it worked out, and then, then about a month or two down, you hear something else. So you call me and go, hey, I, I heard again that, that you know, you're, you're, you don't like a lot of things, and you're against how, and you don't like the vision, you don't like where we're going, you don't like what... So can we get that worked out? And they go, yeah, 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 yeah. And so you leave that meeting. You think you got it all worked out. In a couple months here, you hear it again. That's when you go to them and you say, hey, listen, we talked about it. I thought we could work this out. You're going to need to find opportunities somewhere else. I know that's hard. But Paul says refuse to play their game. Jesus said there's a time to talk to people when they're real and want to change and want to be sincere, but when they get crazy, Jesus said, I'm not talking anymore. Paul said, I'm not talking anymore. I'm done with the underhanded stuff. I'm done with it. That's pretty strong, isn't it? So some of y'all who've been tolerating things that God never intended for you to tolerate you need to pray, 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 fast and pray. Get God's wisdom on it. Don't go do something stupid just because I read you these two verses. But when you get God's word, when you get God's release, there might be a hard meeting you got to have with somebody. Some of you sitting here right now are thinking about a hard meeting you need to have right now. And it's going to be painful when you have it, but when it's over, you're going to feel like you got saved all over again. Man, that's good preaching. I tell you, if I wasn't the pastor, I'd come to church here. <clears throat> Let's all stand.